A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. Over the past two years, as you know, we have paid close attention to the COVID pandemic and different policy responses to it. We've had representatives from governments all across Scandinavia, Norway and Sweden and Denmark. We've spoken to people from Israel and the United States, but we have so far not spoken to a single representative of the government of the United Kingdom. Well, that ends today because joining me in the studio is the Secretary of State for Health, Sajid Javid. Hi, very pleased to join you. And also thank you for seeing that there is a world beyond the BBC. (laughs) Absolutely, a big world. Tomorrow, there is a change to policy, which means that, first of all, free universal testing will no longer be available, and you don't need to test if you have COVID symptoms. What's the thought behind that, given that there is surging cases and given that the usual voices are calling for a return to restrictions? Well, look, a few weeks back, we set out our plans for for living with COVID. And I think it's fair to say we're probably the, the first country that's I think successfully moving from pandemic to endemic. You know, there are other endemic diseases, flu, TB, and others around the world. And I think that's the phase that we are now in as a country. And, and we are setting out, I think, step by step how we live with COVID. And on April the 1st, it's a big moment uh, because there'll be new guidance around, you know, if you have COVID symptoms and how you might choose to respond to that. But as you say, one of the big steps we'll be taking is ending universal testing. You know, we don't have universal testing for anything else. And uh, it's right that we are now, I think, at a phase where we can focus testing on those that would really benefit from it and need it most. People in vulnerable settings like care homes or hospitals, people who work in those vulnerable settings, and also those that might need testing uh, if they were symptomatic to benefit from the excellent new drugs that we have to treat COVID. So that's where we are as a country. It didn't happen by accident. Uh, When I speak to health ministers across Europe and around the world, my counterparts, I can safely say they're all very uh, sort of envious of the position the UK is in, and I wouldn't trade my position for any one of them. So why do you think we're in a stronger position than they are? I think it's because of the decisions that we've taken as a government. And I would go right back to sort of July last year, when we decided, uh, unlike any other country in Europe, to open up and, and start removing a lot of the restrictions that were in place, most of the restrictions, and, and had a summer uh, where, until Omicron came along, we were the most open country in Europe at that time. And I think that was an important move. And there were a lot of people, including a number of scientists, you know, were not recommending that move. Uh, but I think it was the right decision to take, because if you were ever going to move restrictions at that time, if you look back to last year when we'd had the Delta wave, it was right that you do it going into the summer when the kids are off school, people, some people will be on holidays and things. So that was an important decision. 
The other thing uh, then was when Omicron came along, we first you know, learned about Omicron, like the rest of the world in November. It was clearly, it was a new variant. In the early days, no one really knew just how severe it would be, how damaging it may or may not be, but it's right to take uh, precautions. We decided to focus on our pharmaceutical defenses, you know, especially vaccines, but also the antivirals that we procured more per head than any other country in Europe. Also the testing, you know, by making the testing at that time, because we didn't know enough about Omicron, we could see the surge in cases uh, to, to allow people to, to test uh, you know, quite liberally so that you know, they could be confident, especially if they were meeting vulnerable people. And by doing that, uh, I think we were able to be in a position that we are today, that we're able to open up, be the most open, the freest country in Europe and live with COVID. I want to ask some questions about both of those decisions in a moment. But first, could we go even further back yeah. in time to the beginning of the pandemic? So you weren't health secretary, you had left government at that time. So you're watching from the outside. Normally, the British government are asked questions of journalists along the lines of why did you not lock down sooner, harder? Why were there not more restrictions? But I wonder what your view is of the opposite question, which is, given the huge change to society and the removal of really liberties that have been there for centuries on the basis of these models. Do you now look back at those early period and believe that full mandatory lockdowns of that kind are worth it? I think it's fair to say, I don't think when we look back at this, and of course we should, we should learn the lessons from it. That's why I think it's right to have a proper independent public inquiry. I I think there'll be no government in the world that will say it got everything right. And you know, I, I'm not in a position yet because I just don't have all the data, the information. And as you say, I personally, I wasn't there in the early days. Uh, but it, I can understand why decisions were made when we had all that uncertainty. I mean, what did we know in the early days? And right in the early days, we knew... But now we don't a, have that uncertainty. We now have the benefit of hindsight. So looking at the thing in the round, looking at the possibilities for the future, do you now think we should be a lot more careful, possibly just rule out full mandatory lockdowns of that kind going forward. Would you be prepared I think, to I think, do that? I think, I think for any government, a, a democratic government, and we are rightfully a country that prior, it takes great pride in our democracy and our freedoms, that if any government is going to impose restrictions, take away freedoms from people, there needs to be a very, very, very high bar to that. I think that is something that, I mean, certainly that's my, my view. It's always been my view, and I think it's shared by almost all of my uh, colleagues in Parliament. And, and and the tests for us, you talk about the future, who knows what the future holds in terms of whether it's COVID or future pandemics, because there will be pandemics in the future. I think we have to be open to that. The, the, a lesson learned from this, there must be a very high bar. And also a lesson learned more positively is that, that industry working with government in terms of innovation, drugs, and protection against uh, new, new new parasites and things, it, that it can move incredibly fast. And that partnership between the private sector and the public sector was important in terms of getting vaccines, turning them around. We were the first country in the world, first Western country in the world to approve a vaccine, to use a vaccine. And, and, and also we're lucky enough to have a country where vaccine hesitancy is incredibly low. And that's been a real blessing for our country, how the British people just came forward in their millions to not just protect themselves, but to protect people around them. So on that crucial question of lockdowns, you know, you're you're a numbers guy, you come from a financial background. Does it strike you that there is no neat 
correlation between countries that had highly restrictive lockdowns and countries that got the best overall results after this two-year period. It, it would be a lot neater if that data set existed, but it doesn't. Are you convinced that lockdowns are a worthwhile policy on that? Well, what, I, what I'd say is this, is that there, there will be a lot to learn from this, but already what we know, when it comes to restrictions on society and movements in society and takeaway freedoms, the impact, although the intent is, is clear with this pandemic was sort of to, to stop the spread of the, of, of the virus, the impact is far broader. You know, you mentioned rightly the economy, the impact on those businesses, people's life chances, particularly young people, the impact on schooling. You know, look at how we're dealing with that. The was impact. That, can I ask, was that a mistake to close schools? Would I, you... I, I, th I think the, the very, very, very last thing you could, should close down ever is, should be schooling uh, because the, the huge long-term impact you have on, on, on people's, uh, can young you, people's Can you promise education. that won't happen again? No, I, I, what, I, what I can promise is that the, the, the bar for taking any freedom away must be very, very high. I can't tell you for sure what may or may not happen in a, in a future pandemic, not least because I might not be there and others of my colleagues might not, but I think we need to learn as a society from this about the impacts other than you know, on you know, trying to stop the spread of the virus. So if, if I think, again, back to my own uh, department, the the cases that we're seeing now mental health your problems huge growth especially in young people with mental health problems uh the the case of cancer that went undiagnosed you know in their thousands you know because people stayed away from the nhs because they knew the nhs was focusing on the understanding of people with with covid so you know, there's a many many long-term impacts of this and i don't think we still have fully understood that and digested that as a society and, and we need to, to, to be cognizant of that. And would you be prepared to say, although you, mm -hmm. I can understand you don't want to make concrete promises about the future, but would you be prepared to say that in that early period, insufficient attention was paid to the side effects of these huge draconian lockdowns by government and society? I think, look, I think I, what I'd say is governments across the world, uh, uh, that uh, they would all say when you look back, and this includes us, of course, that you look back, that uh, you would do some things differently. We didn't get everything right. The Prime Minister's been clear about that. I think we got the big decisions right now. Look at where we are as a country. And remember, COVID is still there. We're learning to live with COVID. And people say to me now, right, perfectly, uh, uh, you know, understandably, they say, look, you're saying we're learning to live with COVID. Look, COVID cases are going up. Infection rates are going up. But when we look at hospitalizations, the hospitals now in terms of the capacity are in a much, much better position to cope. We understand treatment of COVID much more than ever before. But even if we look at those cases in hospital, you know, some 55%, the NHS estimates, are, are people that are COVID positive in hospital. So they're classed as you know, COVID patients, but they're not there because of COVID. They would have been in hospital anyway with their, you know, getting their hip replacement or So or is that one of the hold. things you'd say that we should have done differently? We didn't have the Counter. data. We didn't have the data at the time. But now we know that this is exactly the kind of thing we, we were looking for. And, and, and to be, for the NHS, I mean, the, the people in the NHS, they, they did everything they possibly could to help people. And, and, and they would be the first also to say, if we had more information, maybe we would have responded uh, differently. Okay, so when you returned to government last summer, uh, you obviously replaced Matt Hancock. Do you feel that you brought a different philosophy to this question than your predecessor had? Do you think there was a change of atmosphere? Look, I think you know, I, this is the sixth government department I ran, and I can certainly tell you as ministers change in, in departments, you... Each minister 
uh, brings their own approach and, and, and priorities. I think one of the first things I talked about were the, actually I, the way I put it was I'm not just the COVID Secretary of State, I'm the Health and Social Care Secretary of State. There's a lot of things I need to look at uh, other than COVID. I mean, goodness knows we've got enough challenges long-term for health even before COVID uh, came along. So you know, That was a difference I, then. So you, you felt that maybe the, the, the government, while you were out of government, was overly focused on just COVID to the exclusion of other health concerns? I, 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 I wanted to make sure that we had, you know, certainly in my department, that we were looking across the board, including the impact of COVID policies on non-COVID health outcomes. And, and, and my biggest challenge came with, with obviously, the discovering Omicron. And, and there were voices that you know, were, were calling for, including scientists and others saying, you know, the best way to respond to this is this lockdown again or put other restrictions in. And we decided rightly to focus on pharmaceutical defences. And, and it wasn't an accident. You know, we did that. The British people responded brilliantly to the call to get boosted. Uh, the, 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 the understanding why antivirals are now making a difference to get tested and, 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 and where they knew that if they were perhaps seeing an elderly relative that's vulnerable, they knew maybe I should stay away. And, and they, they didn't need a government to tell them that. You know, they responded brilliantly. And I think we've all learned huge lessons from that. Let's get into that sort of December last year, that Omicron period. Um, you were presenting yourself as the, the freedom guy. You were the new... Um, you were all about opening up. And then when Omicron was discovered, would it be fair to say you had a bit of a wobble? No, no, because so, what you're probably referring to is the plan B measures. Is that, is that right? Well, I'm, I'm referring to the fact that during December, when you were being presented with nightmarish scenarios mm -hmm. from modelers and yeah. had understandable reason to be concerned, there was a spectrum of opinion within the cabinet. I think that's mm -hmm. now public knowledge um, and that you were were keen to have some further restrictions beyond what were ultimately decided. Is, is that fair? No, I was. I was. I think the, our response in the end was absolutely the right response. Were there? You know, when we get the scientific analysis, both my department, other departments were looking at that analysis. You know, were there um, you know, calls for taking you know, different measures, taking restrictions? Of course, there were. And I think that obviously I wasn't there in the past, but I think there's always a sort of spectrum of opinions. On, on something like this. We had to be... Uh, and you weren't at the... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The, the freedom, the extreme freedom end of that. Well, I, 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 I was at the end of uh, how we actually ended up uh, responding, which was uh, ultimately, uh, I think now looking back, we weren't to know at the time, to be fair, because we still, when we decided on our response and on focusing on boosters, on treatments and testing, uh, that there was still a lot to learn about Omicron. And over time, as we learned that it's, it is intrinsically less severe, that the vaccines work you know, you know, really, really well, especially if you had a boost, uh, that was important information. But I think the, 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 we got the balance right. It involves taking risk. You know, when you're, and obviously we're talking about uh, health here, but throughout my time in, in, in government, you know, there's, there's no perfection in making decisions. You know, there's a, there, every decision, there, there's a risk to, to be taken. Not making a decision is a risk in itself. Right. And, and, and so you have to balance up the advice you've been given, including from experts like our, our scientists, who, who I value greatly, and uh, they're doing their job to set out different scenarios with lots of uncertainty, but it's for ministers to decide. But it's such an instructive episode, that Omicron one, isn't it? Because, first of all, on the question of modelling, those models that our government scientists produced from various universities turned out to be wrong. They were pessimistic, and they suggested that the impact on hospitalizations of Omicron would be much worse than it was. Do you now conclude that? And what does that make you think about receiving that kind of advice in the future? Um, actually, what it makes me think is I think the, the scientists by and large, our scientists that work for the government, they were doing their job. Yeah, because what they were to, to be, we must be fair uh, to what they were asked to do, which is with a lot of uncertainty, especially with the early days of COVID, but even with Omicron around the new variant, there's a lot of uncertainty about its severity, uh, about uh, uh, how it might interact, not just with vaccines, but people who had prior infection, uh, about its growth rate. And so taking into account this uncertainty, scientists come with scenarios and they, and they set out the assumptions that they've made. They've never, I've, you know, during that time, if I look back, you know, no scientist came to me and said, this is what's definitely going to happen or that's what's going to happen. They, they set it out. And in some ways, it's not that helpful because, you know, there's so much uncertainty there. But they're, they're doing their best. But, but do you for, not think there us, is a tilt towards the worst case scenario? Because the incentive for, structure I think, is I think, such, I think for, for some scientists, yes. Yes, uh, I, I think that's right. And that's why I think it was important, especially for someone in my position, uh, to, to get your broad-based opinion. So whilst I was getting advice from scientists at SAGE and others linked with the government, uh, I was also you know, seeking out advice from 
you know, people that had nothing to do with the government, even people outside the UK and asking for their opinions, you know, French scientists and German scientists and uh, scientists in the US and others. And I wanted to take in a, a broad uh, set of opinions. And then ultimately, you know, that, that helps in, in form and make a decision. I think that was actually a, a, a very important that I did that. And do you think next time you get presented with models, speculative models from those kinds of groups, you will be more wary or take them with a greater pinch of salt? I mean, do you think yeah, that I is think, a lesson? No, I, I, would, I would say that uh, when it came to Omicron, I was wary, my, my colleagues in government, and including the Prime Minister, was wary in the sense that you know, scientists are doing their job, they're doing their very best, giving us scenarios. They, don't, they won't say, These are, this is definitely what's going to happen. These are scenarios based on assumptions. But it was right for ministers um, to, to take that into account, to take into account other scientific opinions as well, ones that, you, that may not necessarily be sort of associated with the state and take in other opinions. And, to, uh, and, and once you've digested all that, come up with a decision. But respect that whatever you do involves taking risks. You can't have a risk-free approach. Look at what's happened in, in, in China and Hong Kong, where zero you know, they're, they're, this so-called zero COVID policy, how it's been an absolute utter disaster now in this country, sadly. Right? Look at what we're seeing. It's unfolding. I mean, Hong Kong has had access to vaccines pretty much in the same way as we have. They've had access to all the vaccines, including the, the mRNA vaccines and others. And uh, they, they've had a vaccine hesitancy issue, partly because they told their population, don't worry, we're going to keep this thing out. So where was the incentive to get vaccinated? And look what's unfolding there now. And in, you, you might recall, uh, some of your viewers might recall that in the early days, you, people say the zero COVID policy is the way to go. And, and, and that's what the British government should be doing and others. So. Yeah, whatever you do, there's there's a risk. And do you take do you take from that, I guess, a bigger philosophical lesson, which is that the attempts to micromanage, the attempts to completely control nature, which I guess is what zero COVID was trying to do, elimination strategies, always trying harder. In fact, next time round, that's not the way to go. It's it's doomed to fail. You can't control uh, nature. You know, we 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 will fight things in nature we don't like, like harmful. Uh, viruses and, and and there will be more in the future but I think there's a huge you know, a, a treasure trove of lessons that governments around the world will take from this you know before I came back into government I was uh, a, 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 on a part-time basis I was a senior fellow at Harvard Kennedy School my, and my research project was on future pandemics and that's what I was looking at and trying to look at you know how why did this particular pandemic why do we think it, it began in in china and 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 what were the initial policies of some countries like taiwan why do you think South it began Korea? in china by the way it's uh well do you think uh, it was uh, a, a lab actually, accident or to, to be honest i don't think we'll ever really know we'll ever really have the full facts because that would require china sharing full information with the who and others do you have a personal Theory. It's it's it. Uh, I, I do, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to share that because this isn't about my personal views. It's about going with the evidence uh, and the facts. So, have you been surprised looking at the whole period and looking at your colleagues in, in government and in other parties and indeed in other European and Western countries, how little regard was paid to traditions of freedom for healthy people and these things which have been held as sacrosanct for so long and how sort of one-sided the the rush was in favour of restrictions. Did that shock you when you were watching this period, first of all outside government and then inside it? I think that the speed at which 
I'm talking about not just in the UK, but you know, broadly, if we look throughout Europe, the speed at which freedoms were, take, were taken away was, you know, if someone had told me that before we'd even heard the word COVID, I, I would have thought, no, that you know, that's, doesn't sound right, doesn't sound like the, you know, the, we could do that as a society. That doesn't mean, that, you know, it's, as I say, I wasn't there at the time. And so, um, the, you know, I hesitate to, 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 to go beyond that. But, as, but when I say, as the Prime Minister said, there will be lessons to learn from this about our reactions and how we responded, I think, I think that is part of it. And making sure as a society, Parliament in the future, government, that we, we set ourselves deliberately a very, very high bar to do anything like that ever again. It's still going on though, isn't it? You get countries like Italy where non-vaccinated people are not able to work, they're not able to take public transport. It's become an incredibly divisive issue and a whole chunk of society is basically being excluded from normal life. Do you watch that and with concern? I don't like, I don't like any kind of division and certainly any, anything like that. Uh, I, I think so that, you know, that that is for... for you know, whether it's Italy, other that's a that's a decision for them, and, uh, and, and I shouldn't get into that. But but the whole question of mandatory vaccination, vaccine passports, it's become this incredibly divisive issue in a lot of countries, and we came quite close to it here. Well, we didn't have vaccine passports. We we didn't have mandatory vaccination other than for in in NHS uh, settings. Which when the facts change, we changed our mind, and and that's I think that's. That's what good governance is, is about. Other countries, as you say, whether it's mandation of vaccines for, say, over 50s in Italy or um, the, uh, their approach to you know, vaccine passports and you know, for, for all sorts of settings, they've taken a different approach. They've, many of them taking that right now. You know, uh, people that are coming to see me from abroad, you know, from whether they're business people or the ministers, they, they, uh, they look at how open we are and say, wow, this is like the old times. And you, you, and you would... You would fight against any of those kinds of measures being introduced in the UK? Well, I, I, as I say, they're, they're, for, for any kind of measure that takes away an individual's freedom, there must be a very, very high bar. And I think the way we responded to, to the, you know, the, the latest variant, the you know, Omicron, was the right balance proportion approach. Can you give us any commitment about what will not happen in a future pandemic? I mean, we've had people from the Norwegian government saying they regret closing schools and they vow not to be closing schools for young people again. We've had other uh, uh, governments talking about avoiding lockdowns. What can we I can tell, what, what I can, can we what, I, what I can say is that there will be no knee-jerk reaction to restrict people's freedoms. Not at all, right? There will the reaction of this government will we absolutely focused on the pharmaceutical defences, you know, the things that, that make sense, we know work, right? Because we have a public that, re, that, that, that actually you know, responds to science, responds to evidence. You know, when, we, when the British public learned that uh, the, the vaccines worked from, the, from, whether it's hearing from our own scientists or from the UK HSA and stuff, you know, the, the, the vast, vast majority of people came forward, over 92% of people have had at least one jab. I mean, that's phenomenal. That, that is what has allowed us to open up as a, as a country. What we, must, what we mustn't also tolerate though, is that those people who spread false information about vaccines, that is all, that's something that's unacceptable. That does a huge amount of damage. You know, people that, 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 that deliberately you know, spread false information. I'm not talking about people that are hesitant for 
whatever it is. I'm talking about those that are that are um, that you're completely against vaccination. People that attack vaccination centres or test and trace centres. So that should not be something that. We should but when if if there are side effects, which I guess all vaccines have some sort of side effects, and there appear to be side effects with some of the COVID vaccines. Myocarditis, for example, does feature and is named on the packet as a side effect. So it's not conspiracy theory to mention it. Does that? It should be acceptable for people to consider that in their risk and make a personal judgment as to whether to recommend it to their, for example, young son or not. Of course, they should vaccines. They should be a. They should be like any drug. It should be full information, full transparent information to all individuals, and then they make their own judgment based on that and the risks of you know, potentially the risks of a vaccine versus the risks of not taking a vaccine. That should be a judgment for individuals. For children, it should be a judgment for their parents and their and their carers. And that's been our approach as a country. And I think it's, it's been the right approach. What I, what I object to is when there's completely false information or when you have you know, world leaders saying, why don't you take detergent or something? And, and that's going to help you, you know, completely made up information that's got no scientific basis you know the, the government also has a responsibility to respond to that thank you sajid one final question it's a completely different topic i'm afraid but um, there's a cyclist called emily bridges who is a trans woman who is now competing against british cyclists in a competition as health secretary what's your view of that do you think uh, she should be competing in the women's category well i don't think it's a health secretary issue but if you're asking me she a woman, more, more broadly about what my view is on that, I think when it, my own views, I think when it comes to sport, uh, when it, 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 it should be about sex rather than gender and sex should be based on your biological sex. Sajid Javid, thank you. Thank you. That was Sajid Javid, the Secretary of State for Health here in the UK, the person who decides exactly what our COVID policy should be. He is, I hope you won't mind me saying, a politician. And that means that he's gonna be very reluctant to make firm promises unless they've been pre-agreed by the rest of his government. He's not gonna criticize his colleagues overtly. We have to interpret what he says almost like a foreign language. We have to read between the lines. I think we can all agree it's a great thing that he came in to talk to us. We want more of that. And there is some hope at least that lessons have been learned. And if we face another pandemic, things might not be the same again. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.